Welcome to the First Baptist Church podcast from First Baptist Church in Navasota, Texas. For more information, visit fbcnavasota.org. How many of you guys have ever had a nickname before? Anybody giving you a nickname in life? Okay. So I've gotten a few nicknames in my life. The first one when I was little, um, some fifth grader on the bus called me um, Half Hat. Because I wore a visor, and it's half of a hat, so he just started calling me half hat. I don't know. It was a little weird. That's what he called me. Um, my sixth grade baseball coach called me wheels because I couldn't hit the ball to save my life, but I would ground ground the ball out, and I'd beat the throw to first, right, every time. He just called me wheels. I didn't know how to hit, but I could somehow get a, a contact on the ball and get to first. One time I tried to give myself a nickname. And that usually doesn't work out, but I think it was like third grade soccer team. And this one kid, everybody was paying attention to him because he had a nickname, and they called him Pudding. They called this kid Pudding. And I'm like, oh, I want a cool nickname. So I go to my friends on the team, and I'm like, hey, they call me Yogurt. And, and my dad was right next to me, and they're like, nobody's ever called you that, right? Giving yourselves a nickname doesn't really work, but at one point, my parents called me this all the way growing up. They called me Map Boy, Map Boy, because I had a knack for getting around town. I could figure out directions. I could remember street signs. Um, I knew how to get pretty much anywhere. So whenever we would go to new cities or new destinations, I was always the one trying to hold the map, getting us where we're supposed to be. And I, I take pride in that, right? Guys, we love, we love our directions. We love to be able to show our, our woman that we can get around, right? And, but one day, Matt Boy failed, okay? Matt Boy failed big time. I remember it was my first week on the job here at First Baptist. And to inaugurate me and the student pastor life, they planned this baseball outing. Um, we're going to go to the Brazos Valley Bombers game. I got tickets for you guys, and uh, you're going to just take a, a van full of youth. I'm like, yeah, how hard could that be, right? And, uh I remember I downloaded this new app on my phone that was like this navigation app, and I'm like, I'm just going to impress all the kids. This is going to be a great trip. Everything's going to go smoothly, right? So we get in the van. I punch it into my navigation app, and we're heading for Bryan. And remember, I know Bryan and College Station, if you've lived here forever, you know where everything is, but I'd, I've been there once, okay? So give me some grace. The navigation app said, you have arrived at your destination as soon as we're pulling into an abandoned parking lot in Bryan, Texas. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. All the youth in the back are, hey, are we lost? Are we lost, Joe? They're pulling it up on their phone. I think it's this way. It's this way. And I'm just like, great, right? Great first impression. The youth pastor doesn't know where he's going. Finally, we figured out where to go, and everything worked itself out. But guys, a lot of times in life, we find ourselves in places where we don't want to be. We find ourselves in, in, in situations and destinations where we're like, how did we get here? We don't want to be here. Maybe it's um, a marriage that didn't work out. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's just you were traveling on vacation and you ended up in a weird place. But it, whatever it is, guys, we don't want to be there. We want to get back to the place that we were trying to go in the first place. And a lot of times, guys, our relationship with God looks the exact same way. You know, we show up to church, and maybe you've come to church for a long time, and you're just really not feeling it anymore. You're not feeling that that energy like you had before with God. 
and you see other people around around you and they're like they're really on fire for Jesus and they're reading their Bibles and they're excited, they're praising, they're lifting their hands and we're just kind of here. We don't know how to, how to get unstuck, if you will. And maybe you just showed up, maybe this is your first Sunday, maybe you're not even a Christian yet and you're like, I don't know about all this, but I'm definitely not in a place where I want to be. Well, the amazing thing is, guys, no matter where we're at in our journey, God gives us a way to get back to that sweet spot, if you want to call it. In sports, you call things the sweet spot. If I was actually a good batter, if I hit the ball right where it's supposed to be on a bat, it's called the sweet spot. In tennis, if you hit the ball perfectly, it's a sweet spot. And when we use this term to talk about where we want to be in life, nobody wants to be in that wrong destination for a long time. And and then you come to church on top of that, and you always hear, hey, you guys need to like read your Bible and pray and do all this stuff. But maybe you tried reading the Bible, and you started just like any other book, and you started in Genesis, and you read some stories, and that was cool. There's little weird stories here and there, but you got through it. Then you get to Exodus, and it was still some cool stories, but it was still getting more and more weird. And then you finally get to Leviticus, right? How many of you guys have ever attempted to read Leviticus? And you're like, man, this book must not be for me, right? And you put it down. So guys, wherever we're at in our journey today, whoever you are today, wherever you're sitting today, God has something for you. And he wants you to get back to that sweet spot with him. Maybe getting there for the first time. So the cool thing about our passage today is that it kind of gives us a road map of how to get there. And uh, as we stand together, it's going to be in Psalm 119. We're going to read this together, verse 33 through 40. says this, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. The word of God. You may be seated. So we read a, we read a passage, guys, called Psalm, Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And if you don't know what a, a psalm is, it's kind of like a song. It's like a poem with music behind it. Kind of like the songs we sing today. The Jewish audience would sing that in congregational meetings. And this psalmist, guys, gives us a road map of how to get back to that sweet spot with God. How do I get to the point, if you, if you read verse 40, it said, how I long for your precepts. How I long for them. And here, I'm going to give you four things of how we get back to that sweet spot with God. If you have your, if you have your uh, bulletin, um, you can follow along um, on there. Um, and if you just have something to write with, that's fine. But here's the first one. We have to take on the posture of a servant. 
to take on the posture of a servant. In verse 33, it says, Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Did you guys catch the first words of each of those sentences? Teach, help, and help. If we want to get back to that sweet spot, guys, we have to take on the posture of somebody that's asking for help, somebody that's teachable. Because here's, here's the deal. If you look at every single person in this room, nobody is an expert on Christianity. And if they tell you they are, they're lying. All right? Stay away from them. Okay? They're not an expert. There's no such thing as a Bible expert. There's Bible scholars, but the crazy thing is, guys, I go to this thing called seminary. It's basically grad school for pastors. And you learn more about the Bible and all this fun stuff. And I'm going to come out of seminary with more questions about God than when I came in. And for some of you, that might be like, whoa, like, that's not good. Like, that's just the nature of it. Because the more you study God, the more you're going to understand, man, I, I don't know a whole lot. I'm not there yet. And the reason, guys, we go to schools and have educators in life is because we need people to teach us things can't just always figure it out on our own. Um, you guys in school, the, the actually the point of going to school is actually to learn something. Did you know that? Yeah. But that's why we're doing it, right? You're there to, to, to get a common knowledge so that you can be successful in life. And guys, that's, that's no exception with God. God wants us to come to him as, as the posture of a student saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. Teach me something, God. Help me help me get to that point. Um, you guys know what the definition of a disciple is? Somebody who learns, is a learner, is a student. When Jewish rabbis would select disciples in the Bible, the disciples followed that person everywhere. He went to the bathroom with them. As far as that. He did every single thing because he wanted to be able, at the end of his time of being disciple, he wanted to be able to reproduce everything that his teacher taught them. So just as the disciple does everything the master does, we are always learners of Jesus and God. We have to start there. Here's the second thing that we learn throughout this whole process. And it's called trust the process. If you look in those same verses, after you say, after it says, teach me, help me, help me, it says, I will always keep your statutes. I will obey them. I will follow them with all my heart. I I will take pleasure in your commands. And guys, you're not going to wake up one morning and that's just how you're going to feel. You're not going to like jump out of bed and do heel clicks and give a nice cheer because you, you are ready to follow God with your whole heart that day, right? That doesn't happen. The problem is, guys, we live in America, and we want everything now. Have you ever heard that we live in a fast food culture? Yeah. We can get anything we want in a five-minute drive. And, and on top of that, we can get anything we want in two days or less, 
right? Any Amazon users out there? Yeah. Us Americans are so cultured with the immediate that we forget that God is working on us in a process. We want God to get us to that sweet spot point instantly. But God doesn't work like a fast food Amazon culture. God kind of works like a DPS. You ever been to the DPS in Bryan? How many of you guys love that place? Oh, come on. So I have to go to the DPS. And I get there early because I'm like, oh, there's not going to be anybody there at 9 o'clock on a Friday. And I get in there, and there's like 150 people sitting down. And I'm just like, I fall to my knees like, God, why, right? Why am I here? This is the worst place on earth. And you get your ticket, and you're sitting there, and you're watching some, like, the same news thing that comes across the screen like 10 times, and you're just like, I've already seen this, I've seen this. And then they call the number, and you're like 50 away from that number, and you're just like, like, what's the deal, right? Well, the good news is, is I wrote this sermon at the DPS, so I was like, I got to do something. Um, but, but guys, God, God kind of works like that. He works like in this long process of waiting, and it's not fun sometimes. And then you finally get to the counter, and then you don't get all the answers you want, right? They say, oh, you're missing something. You're missing this document. You have to go home. It's like, thanks, right? And they don't care. They're taking their time. They, they put them behind that wall for a reason, right? So they don't have to see all the people that are mad out in the, out in the audience. And, and why do I talk about that, guys? Because a lot of times, like I said, we want the immediate. We want to get to that place with God where we're, we're really longing for him and, we, and the relationship is good, but we aren't willing to let him work on us in the process. And that's how God works, a daily coming to him every single day, working on us bit by bit. And we need to keep showing up with that teachable spirit. So not only do we have to take the posture of a servant, we have to be one to learn, but we also have to trust God's process and things. But here's the third thing. We have to turn so we can yearn. Turn so we can yearn. If you look in verse 36, it says this. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest prophets. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. So guys, many of us aren't craving God because we've let so many other things in our life take away the appetite for him. And this psalmist knows it very well. He's like, turn my eyes to you so I don't go the way of dishonest prophets. I don't know who this guy was, but he might have had a money problem. If he's, if, he's, if he's making dishonest profit, he's being a little shady, right? And he's like, God, I need your help to turn from that because I know my, my heart's going to go to this. And then he goes on to say, turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. And give me life in your ways. So what are some things that can remove our appetite from God? And I'm going to give you a list of things. These aren't all inherently bad things in themselves, but if we, if we grasp on them, to them and make them the ultimate thing, it can hurt us. It can hurt our relationship with God. And I want you to jot down a few of these that the Spirit maybe kind of says, hey, that's you. And I need to work on you in that area. Here's the first one. It's money. 
we can be so caught up in our pocketbook, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, and all the money can start to do is just, just have us close our hands tighter and tighter on control and rely less and less on God who says, don't worry about tomorrow. I'm not saying don't be unwise in your finances or any of that, but I'm saying like if you make money the ultimate thing in your life, it's going to let you down. God has the life. Money does not have life in it. The second thing is media. We had an election recently, and there's some of us here that the first thing we do when we, when we wake up is we turn on Fox News, right? And by the end of the day, we, we believe that North Koreans are in our backyard about ready to take us down, right? Because the media, guys, is trying to scare you. They want you to turn on the TV the next day, right? There, there's this thing about media that just pulls us in, and it's, in a, it's kind of in an unhealthy way. And I'm not saying don't be educated about the media. But if you let that be your ultimate source of stuff, students and parents. Where's my phone? Oh, I left it because I didn't want to be a distraction. But the phones, guys, the media. Guys, it's saying parents are now on their phones over eight hours a day. Whether it's Facebook or, or reading stuff or, or whatever. But guys, we're missing the connection with God. God doesn't want to compete with your phone. God doesn't want to compete with Snapchat. Some of you guys don't even know what that is. And I don't like Snapchat. You guys know how I feel about it. But anyway, well, I digress. We'll keep going. Church. And you'd be like, Joe, how can how do we need to turn from church? Guys, so many times, like, just coming to church, and, and, and Clyde says it every week, church can kill you. Church can suck the life out of you in an instant. But if we come to worship, if we come to turn our eyes back to Jesus and not to church, not to First Baptist, we'll, we'll be one step closer to that sweet spot. Relationships. Some of you guys are in pretty toxic relationships with your friends, with people you know, relationships can be an idol. Relationships can either suck you dry or build you up. The next one is routine. And this kind of falls in line with church. We, we wake up, we know, what, we know what to expect every week on Sunday morning. We come to Sunday school, we get our donuts and more coffee, we sit through worship. Um, you know, we're just saying, we're hoping that the preacher will go quick. Then we do the offering, we sing the doxology, we go home, we go to La Casita, and we just have that routine. But sometimes, guys, we can miss God in the routine. I'm not saying routine's bad. The routine can suck it, suck it out of you because you're just doing it. You're just going through the motions. The next one's work. Some of us don't know how to turn work off, guys. That's me. I don't really have a set schedule, so sometimes I'm just like, I can't, I have a hard time getting home and turning work off. And, and that affects our, your family, that affects your relationship with God because you're always so consumed with it. Hobbies. Hobbies are actually good because it's good for you to have an outlet somewhere else, but sometimes our hobbies are destructive. We need to think about, is that giving us life or is that pulling us away from God? Two more. The gifts over the giver. This one's huge, guys. A lot of times we get so obsessed with, I'll just make a confession right here. It's, it's awesome to be a pastor. It's awesome to be in this 
in this position where I'm able to teach you guys, but sometimes I can obsess in being who I am and the job that I have instead of God himself. I'm a pastor. Are we looking at the gifts in our lives and we're just thanking him for the gifts, or are we actually like letting that point us to God who's the giver of the gifts? We talked about pastors. Sometimes like, sometimes you can get so fixated with a certain pastor, maybe your favorite one on TV or um, a pastor here. You don't have to name that, but just pastors in general. And we can fixate on a person, but we're not fixating on God. And here's the last one. This one stings a little bit. Ourselves. Ourselves. Guys, this should be an everyday like thing because we choose ourselves before we choose others and God every single day we wake up. Are we choosing what what we want or are we choosing what God wants? I'm not saying, guys, these things aren't evil. But what I am saying is they can suck us dry if we put our ultimate hope and trust in those. So think of, think of a few of those things that maybe you've you've latched onto in life. I know I've latched onto some of those. And later in this in the service or today just say, God, help me help me turn from those so I can yearn for you more. And here's the last point. Not only do we take the posture of a ser- servant, trust the process, turn, we need to thirst for more confirmations. Thirst for more confirmations. Because the cool thing, guys, is as you progress in your relationship with God, God is going to show you things and then actually confirm them in your life. And I'll give you an example of this. So we were at youth camp about was it two weeks ago. Yeah. Time's a blur, right? Still recovering from youth camp. Um, but what us leaders would do every morning is we'd wake up before all the kids got up because they would stay up till like 2 a.m. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. I don't know why you're doing that. But they do it, they do it regardless. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to sleep. I wake up. We wake up about an hour before we have to wake up the, the kids. And we go to, to spend some peace and quiet and solitude with ourselves. Because if we don't have that, it's going to be a long day, right? So we, So I'm running... We're, we're going to this place, and I find this nice picnic table, and I get my Bible out, and I get a journal, and I'm, and I'm writing, and I see a few of our youth walking by. I'm like, ah, dang it. Why are they up, right? Why are they awake? They should, they should be in their bed sleeping. And then one of the youth, um, who, who you know is just going to talk your head off the whole morning, approaches where I'm at. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I love the youth, I love them to death, but I'm just like, come on, God, like, give me some, give me some peace right now. And here's the words that I fired off. Don't judge me, because I know you've felt this. I said, hey, man, I'm spending time with God. Like, I'll see you later. And then as he walks away, he looked a little disappointed. The Holy Spirit, like, jabbed a knife in me and was like, are you serious? Are you serious right now? You really just said that? I'm like, ah, oh, you got to be kidding. Like, why did I do that? And the Spirit brought me to this, this verse where Jesus was trying to have a quiet time. He just spent the entire day, so many people, healing people, and he finally got off. He snuck off in the morning to a desolate place where nobody knew where he was. He spent some time, and then all of a sudden it says the crowd even knew he was trying to be alone. 
and found him, right? Imagine not just one kid, but like a hundred some people. They're like, hey, Jesus, um, we want you to heal us, right? Of our sicknesses. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't say, he didn't run and try to get higher off in the mountain. He didn't say, you guys need to get lost. He said, he had compassion on them. And it said he healed their sick, and he stayed with them the whole day. And then the disciples get there, and they've only been spending a little bit of time with them. And he's like, hey, guys, it, Jesus, it's been all day. Like, why don't you send these people away? Like, they need, we don't even have food here. And Jesus says, well, actually, why don't you guys give them something to eat? And they're like, well, we're not going to be able to do that. And he brings them, he brings them to Jesus, and Jesus feeds 5,000 Men, it's probably like about 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he gives them, and he's trying to point them to the bread of life. And he's trying to get his disciples to realize this. And then you know what he does after all that? He sends his disciples across the water, and he goes up on a mountain to pray. He got his quiet time in. It says he prayed for a long time up on the mountain. And God was showing me in that moment, Joe, your job is to point other people to the bread of life, not to hold it to yourself and be this this guy that holds on to things tightly. And God confirmed that to me. And you know what he did? After that, I'm like, God, I want more of that. I want more of you. The next day, I read on. It says, Jesus walked on water out to the storm that the disciples were struggling through. You know what Jesus whispered to me? He said, Joe, today you're about to go through a storm. I'm like, are you kidding? A storm? Like, I don't tell what I wanted, right? He's like, you're going to go through a storm today, and the only way you're going to get through it is if you listen to my voice and you keep your eyes on me. I didn't know what that looked like, but guys, I'm, I'm not joking. Kid after kid after kid, we were counseling we were breaking up fights we were it was just like one thing after another and I'm just like God like when is this going to end and you know you know what he reminded me of keep your eyes on me it's going to be okay he confirmed that and guys the more that we get into this book the more he's going to speak to us and confirm things in our life but we have to be able to be teachable we have to be able to be Trust the process of God that he's not going to answer things right away. The third thing is we have to be able to turn. Turn our eyes from the, the bad attitude that I had towards one of our kids so that I could yearn for more of God. And you're like, Joe, all this sounds great, but you, you say this looks so easy. And I'm here to tell you guys that it's not always easy. Life's hard. The process is hard. Jesus never saved you and said, hey, I'm rolling out the red carpet for you. You're never going to have any issues in your life ever again. He's saying, I'm going to be with you in the midst of your storms. I'm going to grow you in the midst of them. We have that, that scripture, guys. Jesus was the perfect example of this. He says this in Philippians. He says this about Jesus. Philippians 2.5. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me jump back. Um, guys, whenever I was a senior in high school, um, I didn't really understand this book. 
I would read it at night, and I'm like, I got no idea what's going on. I remember I got some advice, and I, I asked one of my leaders in, in high school, I said, how do I grow closer to God? He said, the first step is just reading this thing. I'm like, where do I start? He said, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just keep reading it. And he said, and then answer these three questions. Third one, the first one is this. What do I learn about Jesus? The second one is, what do I learn about the characters in the story? And the third one is, what do I learn about myself? And if you answer those three questions, you're able to continue, like, every day after day, your life becomes more and more, you start to see what, you start to become what Jesus is talking about. You start to love people more. You start to have more compassion because you've, you've examined him. You're letting, it, you're letting Jesus come in and change you. Guys, things will not change in your life until you get in this book, I'm telling you. And we don't read this book to become a Christ follower. We read this book because we're Christ followers. And he begins to mold us and shape us and, and change us. And here's what Jesus did for us. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, I'm going to read this for you. It's talking about who Jesus was. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Guys, think about that. God putting on flesh. The eternal God that's not bound by time and space and matter decides to put on human skin and be limited to humanity's finiteness. But at the same time, he was God. It says he humbled himself. It says if you, if you, if you watch Jesus' life, he was a servant to his father. He trusted the process. Imagine God says you're going to save the world and you have to wait 30 years as a carpenter before you get to do that. Just doing normal work for 30 years. And finally, God says it's your time. And then Jesus had to constantly turn his eyes away from distractions on the earth because people were coming to him and said, hey, we want you to heal us. And he's like, I actually have to go to the town next to us. And finally, he just thirsted for more and more of Jesus. So where are you guys at today? It says in 2 Corinthians, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could have life, so we could get to that sweet spot with God that we've always wanted and imagined. Guys, we don't just... We don't just live on this earth so that one day we die and we get a ticket to heaven. I'm sorry, that's not a full life to me. Eternal life begins as soon as you surrender yourself to Jesus, and it begins now. The last point, it literally says in the Bible that we can't understand the Bible without a relationship with Jesus. It won't make sense. 
it's like there's a veil over it. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, if we haven't surrendered our lives to him and what he's done for us, it won't work. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13 says, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. I just want you to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to just ask the question to God. Be honest with him. Where am I actually at with you? Am I longing for you? Do I have that vibrant relationship with you? Or am I am I kind of in a place where I don't want to be? Or maybe I'm in a point where I'm doing okay, but I, I'd like to be in a better place with God. Right, right where you're at, I want God, I want you to ask God, God, what, what, what is it that you need me to turn from? How can I be a better student? How am I not being patient with your timing and your process? And I want you to 